And uh, there, there can't be too much said about God's amazing grace. My first thought is that grace is an attribute of God's character. It's not just something he does. It is something he is. It comes out of his very heart. He is a gracious God. He is a graceful God. What is grace? That's what we want to find out. I like definitions, and so right at the very beginning, let's get some of the teaching points out of the way so that we can investigate further what what this idea of grace is. There are various definitions of grace offered by students of Scripture, and one of the most mentioned is unmerited favor, a gift I didn't deserve. And that certainly is what the song Amazing Grace is all about, Salvation is an act of God's grace, his unmerited favor. In this definition, the emphasis is is that we didn't deserve it. It's something that's come along, that has been given to us, it's a gift, and uh, we did not earn it in any way. We're unworthy to breathe God's good air. We're unworthy to live in God's creation. We're unworthy to expect any love from God. But he gives these things to us. We can't stand at the gates of heaven and demand these things. And greatest of all, he's given us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior, and we certainly didn't deserve that. Another definition I have heard is an acronym of grace using the letters G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Another good definition of love, something that we can lay into our hearts and minds and use and meditate on. It was the gift of the Savior to lay down his life for us. It is his ongoing grace that blesses us in so many ways. But today, I want to explore another aspect of God's grace, because this idea of undeserved favor or a God's riches at Christ's expense does not explain all of the expressions and all of the times when grace appears in the Old and in the New Testament. It says that they marveled at the gracious words that came out of Jesus' mouth. So when we use the the definition undeserved favor, it doesn't quite fit when it's describing how beautifully Jesus was speaking or God's riches at Christ's expense. And there are other references in Scripture that don't quite fit into those definitions. So what I, what I would like to do is give us a bigger definition of grace that certainly includes unmerited favor and God's riches at Christ's expense. Certainly includes those things, but it gives us a bigger view of what grace really is. Grace is mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments. Over 150 times we find a reference to grace. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it is the word chen, C-H-E-N. Sounds like somebody clearing his throat. Not a very nice word to describe a nice thing. Chen. And it means favor or loving kindness. In the New Testament, it is the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. And the Latin word for charis is gratia, from which comes the English word Grace, charis, or gratia, are words that are rich in meaning. The Greeks admired form and beauty in the arts and in architecture, in speech, 
in dance and athletics. The, uh, the uh, uh, word well spoken, the sculpture well designed, the dance well performed, the athletic feat accomplished, the winner in the work in the winner's circle, all of these things would be said to be characterized by charis. Even in English, when we see a ballet dancer balancing on one toe, we call it graceful. Graceful, full of grace. Now, don't make me demonstrate that because my balance isn't very good and I certainly can't, I certainly can't dance. But grace may be defined then as the ability to move or speak in a beautiful, balanced, and timely way. Once again, here's this bigger definition of, of grace. The ability to move or to speak in a beautiful, balanced, and timely way. So the Holy Spirit has taken this word out of the Greek culture and has put it into the word of God. So we must appreciate all of its richness that comes out of the Greeks. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has brought this word to us as a description of God and a description of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the gracious Savior. And that word is enriched when we look back at the roots of that, that attribute of God is enriched when we look back at the roots of the word grace. Some of you know that our grandchildren from Arizona visited us in the summer. Some of you met all of our seven grandchildren that come from Arizona. And part of the time was spent at the cottage of Mike and Val Lyon, where the children had a blast by the lake. Martin, who was 12 years old and a lover of nature, particularly enjoyed himself. Now, Martin gets up early in the morning at our place out in the country, and he wanders around the property looking for snakes. That's just the way he is. And if he doesn't find a snake, he'll settle for an interesting insect. One day, a large, very large snapping turtle, maybe about 18 inches in diameter, came close to the dock, appeared in the water near the dock. Now, when I told this valley, I told this story to Val, she commented she had never seen a turtle in the water at the dock. So this was a new visitor to the dock. Martin was in awe. The other children were excited as well. But this turtle was deep in the water and didn't approach any closer. Finally, the turtle moved away into deeper water and was lost to sight. Martin came to me and he said, Papa, if I pray, do you think God will send the turtle back again? Now, I was on the horns of a theological dilemma. I didn't want to frustrate this little boy's faith, but I I said, in faith, Martin, you pray, and God will do something good for you. Well, a few minutes later, guess what happened? The turtle came back again. 
Martin got right down to the water's edge, as close as he could get to the surface of the water, and lo and behold, as the other children watched in amazement, the turtle swam right up to Martin. Big, big snappy turtle. Now, I would have stayed clear of it. I would certainly have kept my fingers in, because a snapping turtle can take your fingers off as quick as a jiffy. But then Martin reached out his hand, and he touched the turtle's shell, and and he petted the turtle's shell for a few moments. Finally, the turtle swam away again. Now, for two months, we've been studying the attributes of God. Tell me now, when you consider that story, how many of God's attributes were on display with Martin and the turtle? Well, there certainly is love. God loves Martin. And he gave him a beautiful gift that day just to please his heart. There are certainly greater needs in the world than for a child to get an up-close experience with a turtle. But God did a special thing for Martin. Why? Because God is love. And God moved to bless Martin. In the same way, God loves us. And he is on the move to bless us. He intends to be gracious to every single one of us. But how about omnipotence? We, we were looking at an omnipotence a few weeks ago, and that means that God is all-powerful. Yes, God is all-powerful. No one could do for Martin what God did that day. Can you control a turtle? God can. And he turned that wild animal around and made him go back to the dock. All the noise of the kids on the dock, all the screaming, the turtle didn't mind, came right back and right up to to Martin. The Lord of all nature made a wild animal tame for a few moments so that Martin could experience that. What about omnipresence? Well, God was there. Right there with those kids on the dock. God was right there with the turtle. What about omniscience? God knew exactly how to bless Martin that day. He knew what was in the heart of Martin. And he said, Martin, I'm going to do something really nice for you today, something very gracious. What about holiness? We discussed the attribute of God's holiness a couple of weeks ago. I told the story of Martin and the turtle to one of my patients, and they said, Oh, God hears the prayer of an innocent child. The only problem with that comment is that Martin is not innocent. In fact, he was somewhat of a handful at the cottage as he pushed the limits and rules and needed to be forgiven several times. No, Martin isn't sinless, but a holy God could love him just the same and blessed him that day. God finds a way for sinful people to be loved. More about that in a bit. What about grace? Was God's grace in evidence in this story? Hands up how many people enjoyed that story of Martin and the Turtle. Well, of course, you see, it's, it's, it's what we like to hear. You know, a boy getting his, his dream wish. See, the beauty of that story, 
the beauty of that story is because God, the gracious God, moved. And I'm going to tell you now, whenever you see movement that is beautiful, it comes from God. There is no other source for beauty in this world. There is no other source for balance. There is no other source for wonderful timing than God's grace. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. God is a God of all grace. And all his attributes are in perfect balance. That's why when he expresses himself, it's beautiful. Now, two kinds of grace need to be distinguished. First of all, there's common grace, and then there's supernatural or divine grace. Now, common grace is called common because, not because it's, it's ordinary or not because it's something that lacks any beauty. It just means it's common grace because it's everywhere. You're going to see common grace everywhere. For those who have eyes to, say, to see, every day you will see evidences of God's grace. For instance, God's grace is expressed in the work of creation. The work of creation. Creation is full of examples of God's grace. The earth itself has the perfect balance for life to exist, and scientists refer to this perfect balance for life to exist, that, that the earth is the Goldilocks planet. Now, you know the nursery time story of Goldilocks and the three bears. And uh, the little bear had porridge on the table, and the porridge was just right to eat. And so Goldilocks ate the porridge that was just right to eat. This earth is just right for you and me. Just right. It's the right distance from the sun for there to be moderate temperatures to support life. You wouldn't want to have to live on Venus or even Mars for that sake. Too hot, too cold. An ozone layer around the earth screens out harmful rays so that health giving light can bathe us. Oxygen supplied by all the greenery on the planet allows us to breathe. An abundance of fresh water for us to drink and to produce crops for food. Balanced ecosystems which allow food to be grown. Man in his carelessness misuses these resources and pollutes them to his peril, but he cannot deny that in its purest state, nature is a marvel of life-giving beauty. Those who omit God attribute it to Mother Nature, whoever she might be. We who know the Lord attribute it to the glorious and gracious God who made a beautiful home for us. He's the awesome creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made it beautiful, balanced, just right for us to live in. And then he made life to inhabit this earth. We're part of that life that God has created. This planet is teeming with life. Science cannot tell us where it came from. The only thing they can come up with if they deny 
a purposeful and, and powerful God is spontaneous generation, which is crazy. That life came from nothing, and suddenly, boom, there was life. And the more we investigate life, the more understanding we have of this. It is far too sophisticated for, be, for it to be an act of chance in time. So much information in the DNA, so much, so much information that's required for life even to start. Where did it come from? It came from a gracious God. At the cellular level, there are billions of cells in our body, all little factories modified to do their various jobs. Various systems in the body have their checks and balances, maintaining proper levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide, acid-base balance, energy stores. All of these things are held in a beautiful balance in our bodies. Are we the ones that are maintaining the balance in our bodies and in ourselves? No. We have little or no input into it. We breathe God's good air. And when we're asleep, we do it unconsciously. Who maintains the balance? Well, the Bible says this. In him, in Christ, all things hold together. All of that work that's being done in our bodies is held in a glorious and beautiful balance by the Lord himself. He pulled the plug, all of the different parts of our body would just fall into nothing. Life is sustained by the presence and power of a gracious God. It says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in Acts 27, verse 18, in him we live and move and have our being. The only reason we can move around this planet is by the grace of God. It's everywhere. Back a few months ago when it was warm and we were enjoying a meal outside on the patio, I noticed a fairly large piece of cake that had dropped from the table and it was walking across the patio. On closer inspection, the cake was not moving itself. It was one industrious ant that was carrying the whole load. Pretty large chunk of cake. And this ant was grappling with the whole thing on his shoulders, carrying it across the patio. Biologists have long known that ants can carry many times their body weight. But how much? Five times? Ten times? A hundred times? But more accurate measurements have determined this, that an ant can carry 5,000 times its body weight. Now that would be like me trying to lift a huge dump truck. Getting under it and lifting it up. Can't do it. The ant can. The ant can. 5,000 times this way. Who gives the ant such ability to do that? Our God. He created mighty ant. Mighty ant. Who can do such things. That's the grace of God. That's why the word says, learn from the ant, you lazy one. God has given this powerful ability to the ant, and you know what? He can give us powerful ability to do what God calls us to do as well. So we've been talking about 
common grace or natural grace. Let's talk about supernatural grace. For instance, the grace in giving us salvation. We've been singing about it already. If there ever was a test of God's ability to balance things and bring about a beautiful result, it was in bringing us salvation. When man sinned, two attributes of God appeared to be completely and utterly opposed. His love and his holiness. You see, God's love says, let all men be saved. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 and 4. But God's holiness, which is his utmost purity, requires that all mankind be removed from his creation because we're all sinners. We are the spiritual polluters of the world. And God is against pollution. And the pollution of sin in our hearts is so great that the only way that God could take care of it is by eliminating us from his creation. God's love says, let them live. God's holiness says they must die. How does he balance that? Maintaining perfect holiness, maintaining perfect love. Listen, God is gracious and he does the job. He sends the Lord Jesus Christ to this world, who is God the Son. And Jesus took a life so that he could give it away. We've already celebrated that in the communion this morning. He took the death that we deserved. He took all of our righteousness, which was like filthy rags. He took it away from us. All of our sin and all of our our efforts to be good are like filthy rags in God's sight. He took that off. And he put on us a robe of righteousness. He gave us his own righteousness. He gave us his own life. He provided forgiveness for us. He paid the price. He satisfied the holiness of God because God looks at Jesus and says, I'm satisfied. Jesus, the representative of the the human race, Jesus, the Savior, is holy. God no longer looks further than that because he sees the blood of the cross and he says, everybody who is in Christ is as righteous as Jesus. And a holy God is satisfied with that. So that he's free to love us. Now that's the message of the gospel. It's a message of love, all right. But I'm telling you this, it's grace. It's God balancing things. It's God finding a beautiful way to get past the huge problem that we had. No wonder they call it amazing, amazing grace. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourself. We can't save ourselves. We don't have enough ability. We don't have enough beautiful moves. We don't have enough uh, balance to be able to save ourselves. God does. And it says in, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 16, that from the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. You see, salvation is only the beginning of blessing for the Christian. Only the beginning of blessing, because the gracious God intends it to bless us over and over and over again. 
radio Bible teacher John Newfeld on Back to the Bible broadcast recently told a story of missionaries known to him. They had three boys and all wanted to complete their family with a little girl. They kept saying, Mom and Daddy, we want a little sister. I'm not talking about Josiah and Patricia. (laughs) They got their little girl. That's an act of God's grace too. So they as a family prayed about it and decided to adopt a baby. Only one problem. In the country they lived in, there was a limit, a time limit, for the age of the mother. And this particular lady was fast approaching the time limit where she could adopt. It got to be the last day. And the children knew the time limit. They prayed that morning, that, that morning and, the, and the three boys went off to school sad that they weren't going to get a baby sister. But God wasn't done yet. Mid-morning, they got a call from the adoption agency. We just received a little baby girl, and she's yours. In the early afternoon, they went and got her, and by the time the boys came back from school, when they came in, there was their baby sister in the living room in the bassinet. What was that? It's God's grace. Beautiful, powerful. And such timing, you know, he, he tested their faith right to the end, and then God came through with a gracious gift. A baby girl, just for them. Now finally, there's the, the grace of God in working in us to make us gracious. The, uh, The commentators often call this enabling grace, grace that enables us to become gracious people ourselves. It says in 2 Peter 3, verse 19, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Christians are encouraged not just to grow in their knowledge of God, they're encouraged to grow in grace, and that is to have beautiful, beautiful ways about them that approximate the ways of our Savior. We are being formed into the image of Christ, into the image of God, and Christians are meant to become gracious people. Now, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we, we find the fruit of the Spirit, and there's a whole list of abilities that Christians should have. And so this is how the list goes. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you notice, there isn't one mention of grace. So you say, Jim, what's wrong? I thought you said this is a premier ability that Christians should have. Why is it not on the list? And I submit to you that grace takes all of those and wraps them up in a bow and says, it's all grace. All of them are grace. And the balance of them in, in the Christian's life, when they've been walking with the Lord, is grace. Jesus was God's son. He was and is full of grace and truth. He was balanced in all respects in his life. A lot of people say, well, Jesus lost his temper when he 
went into the uh, uh, temple and he cleansed the temple. Jesus never lost his temper. Was he angry? Yes, but anger is not a sin. God gets angry every day. And anger is not a sinful emotion, it's a gift of God. It's a gift that God gives us so that we can identify conflict in our lives. Jesus didn't lose his temper. He was under perfect control, and he was acting according to a prophecy back in Malachi where it says Jesus, the, the, the messenger of the covenant, is going to come in and cleanse his temple. They should have been expecting him, and they should have been expecting what he was about to do. He overturned the tables, and he sent all of those people, unscrupulous businessmen, packing. He sent them out under total control. Grace means balance. Jesus never lost his balance. And you know, when we're living by grace, we don't have to lose our balance either. We do tend to lose our balance. Some of us lose our temper. Some of us get into fear and we become paranoid and we become uh, trapped in our fears. And some of us are trapped in shame and some of us are trapped in in lust and, and we lose our balance. And you see, what God's grace does is enter in and, and bring a powerful ability to balance those things so, so that we can live a godly life. A Christian man lived for many years coping with fear he had had since childhood. He mainly coped by avoiding as many things in life that could, that could cause him distress. He, he went for the comfort as often as he could. His job was safe and secure and comfortable. Everything was going well. And then suddenly, he lost his job. And over the next days and weeks, waves of cold, clammy anxiety swept through him night and day. Went to his doctor. Medication barely reduced his distress. One day, he came and he, we talked. I told him that God was in control, that this was a test of, of faith, and I've said that to many people, and that he needed to call on God for grace, for faith, for courage, to overcome the fear and the dread that was inhabiting his heart. Now, he realized that he'd been controlling his own life, it was his own ability that was he, he was relying on, not God's amazing grace. So he repented that day. It says in James chapter 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud and the self-sufficient, but he gives grace to the humble. He humbled himself that day and he said, Lord, I, I need you. I need your grace. I need your balance in my life. Now, with this man, there was no sudden injection of courage. I've seen that. I've seen someone go from being utterly fearful to being totally courageous when they call on the Lord. There was no such change in this man. There was no quick reversal of the situation. But week by week, as I saw him over a course of months, he reported that as he read the promises of God's word and prayed for grace, his symptoms were decreasing. The fear still sought to to overpower him. He was still out of a job and looking for work. But he was meeting it by the grace that God supplied. 
His negative talk and obsession with his problems was being replaced by sharing what good things he was learning about God and by thanksgiving for God's favor. Many of the fruit of the Spirit were being produced in his life, certainly peace and self-control. The grace was coming out in his behavior as he grew spiritually, and his wife attested to that. He was a more peaceful man. Finally, he could say that he was glad that God gave him this test of faith because it made him into a much stronger believer. What, what was he experiencing? The power of God's grace. That's God's grace. It says in Ephesians 2 and 10, we are his workmanship. God is working on us like he would work on a beautiful painting. He's creating us. This grace, this ability to walk in beautiful and balanced and timely ways. You see, God's grace is all around us in this world, in nature, in our own bodies, in the little ant that walks by on the patio. We need to see this grace and celebrate it. It comes from God. We certainly need to see God's grace poured out upon us when Jesus, God's Son, gave his life for us. We need to trust his grace and receive the salvation that it brings. I trust you have received that gift of grace today. You have to ask for it. God gives us the breath in our mouths quite free. You don't have to ask for breath most times. He will only give you, he will only give you the salvation and the breath of life in your soul when you ask for it. You must ask in, in, in humility and in faith. God's grace is working for us every day in unique and personal ways. For those who have eyes to see, God is preserving us. God is protecting us. God is prospering us. God is is blessing us in every possible way. We need to be thankful. God's grace is working in the hearts of those who believe him, right inside of them, to make them into different people. For those that have a weak heart, for those who are afraid, gives courage, that's grace. For those who are angry, he gives peace, that's grace. For those that are ashamed, he gives glory, that's grace. For those who need to be enlightened, he gives enlightenment, that's grace. All of these things are gifts of God's grace working in us. We are his workmanship. If God can direct a turtle to a praying boy on a lake in a corpus, he can do for you all that you need by his beautiful grace. You believe it? Will you receive it? Will you trust him for grace? It says in Second Corinthians 12 and 10, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's say it together. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful picture of God. And it really brings all of the attributes of God together, puts a bow on them. The grace of God, his ability to move in beautiful and balanced and timely ways and, and how God acts on our behalf by grace. 
He's so graceful. He's so gracious in what he creates and, and, and how he saves and how he sanctifies and how he keeps us and how he blesses us. Thank you, God. You're a very, very graceful God. You're a very gracious God. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.